You are listening to The Broken Up, Broken Up, the podcast of the standard. This is The Broken Up, and I am Donnie Service, your host. Today we talk to Harbinger of Doom, a band that I knew back when I was in high school a million years ago. And this was a band that was just a lot of fun, and it was great to talk to these guys and get back with them. Also, special thanks to Brendan Draper for mixing and editing this episode. And now, Harbinger of Doom. So hey guys, thanks for joining me. This is The Broken Up, the podcast where we revisit bands that uh, had their chance. I'm here with uh, two members of Harbinger of Doom, which was a band active in Northern California in the East Bay in a little town called Danville. I'm with Aaron Griswold on bass. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, what's up? <laughs> and I got Kern uh, here, Kern McPherson. How's it going? Thanks for, uh, for joining me, guys. No problem. I wanted to talk about your band that you were in. Can you guys tell me a little bit? Uh, maybe I'll I'll turn to Aaron. Uh, tell me about like how Harbinger of Doom formed and how you guys met. Well, to my recollection, we started playing first. It was in Ken's garage, if I remember correctly, right across the street from the old middle school that that a few of us had gone to, and it was kind of just sort of a side project, joking around band. For pretty much everybody, it was the only band that I was in at the time. I'd been in another band prior to that, but it kind of broke up and I was looking for some people to play with. And I don't know, I kind of felt like maybe it was a charity thing at first, like with with all, with, with all you guys having your other bands. Like, yeah, sure, we'll play. Yeah, let's have some fun. And it's really just started out. As, How old were you at the time? Um, Junior year of high school. That was got to be, yeah, yeah we, junior we year. We played two years, junior year and senior year of high school. Yeah. It all started when Ken bought that $50 drum set. <laughs> it was held together with pieces of duct tape. <laughs> Who did he buy that from again? I forget. I don't know. But I, that was I, the key. If I remember correctly, it was the $50 drum set, and he had all of my broken cymbals yeah. that I had been, because he and I were in a band, and all of the symbols that I'd broken over however much time the leftovers, he, he formed that and his shelves into a kit. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that was great. I think the key there also is that Ken was not a drummer no. in any way, shape or form really. So that was kind of the, the, un, the, the key to this band, <laughs> a non drummer on drums with a drum set. That's like borrowed from his friend who is a drummer. Um, in a bunch of people who it's their like side project, except I think for all of us, it was like an extra sense of freedom in that regard. Like we yeah. all felt the freedom to keep it, to make it really fun and to not take it too seriously. Yeah. I think that really paid off. Like silliness was a very strong component in pretty much everything we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have strong and fond memories of, Harbinger of Doom, actually, because we had this uh, this talent show at Santa Rosa High School, and <laughs> Harbinger was almost the highlight of the show, from my recollection. I mean, that was our first live performance. And, and I, don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only say that you know, I, I don't say that because I was like involved in doing stuff, but like as somebody who was watching that show happen and watching the crowd, I remember it was kind of weird. There were all these other bands with all the popular kids that were in it, and. <laughs> 
Harbinger comes out with these cloaks and skull masks and, you know, spike and, shoulder pads. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> made Ken's out of costume was the best. From, like, <laughs> what was what was the name of that? Um, like all the 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 housewives would go to get their crafts to make like styrofoam and make like garden like sculptures. <laughs> like Michaels. Yeah. Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> That's where where half the Harbinger costumes came from. That and uh, yeah, that, like the Halloween store mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So Kern, you were in another band at the time. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. me about that for a second. Yeah. So I was in a, another band. It was a like kind of like a three piece uh, rock band. It was very much, it, it was with my friends who I had originally started playing music with in uh, kind of dating back to middle school. And it was our, our like more serious band where we were trying to make some po- really polished songs and make a really nice, uh, careful recording. And, you know, I think it, it was definitely like looking back now, you can feel how dated it was and how very much like of the moment that the sound of our music was. And how even though we, we really were very serious about it, I think as time goes by, looking back at the, the Harbinger project, I look back on the Harbinger project just as fondly, if not more, kind of just as proud of what we got done, even though it was not in complete seriousness all the time. <laughs> and I, uh, I remember they, that, but that, but that talent show that you were talking about, though, was, was yeah. a really good memory for me. Because um, I, I remember the tryouts for it, <laughs> and, and I remember that was when I noticed that, and you were on like the committee that decided which bands went on. So I think that was the start of a, a beautiful friendship there, where you were really kind of like the key purveyor of the Harbinger <laughs> project <laughs> and moving it along. You got us on the talent show, and we were like, you know, we didn't unveil our costume idea till I think the night of. Like, so I don't yeah. think anyone really we knew just that we were showed up and like put our costumes on right before we went out on stage. Nobody was <laughs> right that. before, yeah. right before. And, uh, well, yeah, it was great. Yeah. The, the, the punchline of course being that, um, well, you know, I'm going to save the punchline. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of a song here. This is devil's creed <laughs> by harbinger of doom. Let's take a listen <laughs> to this. That was the talent show song. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was the tryout song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that I, I mean so, that was the song also for the for the the final version and the funny thing is that song goes into a transition later on where it all of a sudden gets kind of like upbeat. <laughs> and as part of our act, we all kind of like Aaron and I kind of ripped off our cloak clothing and we had like bright tie-dye clothing underneath yeah well that was, and so we, we underwent <laughs> that was yeah. the second time we played at Talish. that was senior year and we um we had like i remember it was like oh. hawaiian like hula outfits and stuff <laughs> so yeah we like transitioned in between like at the end of the, the first song ripped off we had, like had them like rigged to be like tear away evil costumes and then it was like <laughs> and now it's like a luau like for the for the second song I, and <laughs> And I have it on authority that Thunder from Down Under actually stole this bit <laughs> in Vegas, and they do this. Now. <laughs> they come out, and no, no, they don't. But um, <laughs> it was it was genius to come out in the you know it's like oh, here's this high school band, and they're wearing all these like they're playing this death metal, and they're coming out with these death metal costumes and stuff, and then you rip it off, and it's like <laughs> coconut bras and grass hula skirts, <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but I um. It's on the Bandcamp page, but we did this photo shoot. And if you download the tracks from the Bandcamp page, I actually uploaded the photos from the photo shoot, and they're attached to the MP3s. So on my phone right now, I'm looking, oh, cool. and I'll, I'll link it for the people listening. Awesome. But like, we've got these really serious pictures of, you know, it's like you guys are wearing the the costumes, and Kern's wearing this witch hat, and he's looking really serious. And Aaron, <laughs> you've got on the skull mask with your cloak and the the skull t-shirt, right? The skeleton that t-shirt. That was right before the curtain went up. Yeah. <laughs> no, was. no, this is this is in uh, this is in somebody's garage. We in my garage. Yeah, we played in my garage after we uh-huh. moved out of Ken's garage. Yeah. And Ken's got his The Others shirt on, which was like a one-of-a-kind, one-off I had made at the mall. (laughs) (laughs) But there was another picture where, like, we were trying to think of, like, really evil things that you guys could do, and one of them was changing a light bulb. (laughs) Yes. So we had... You yeah. guys like like one of you was on a ladder and the other two were holding the ladder steady and yeah I remember this picture I think I, I think I have that like on Facebook somewhere still like um, like Peter it was Peter up there on the ladder like changing the light bulb <laughs> and like somebody you like did yeah. some visuals like all, you altered the image to make it like a little bit trippy or something like that oh I oh photoshopped yeah. it yeah I mean yeah that was just kind of a little bit of insanity where where we're just like you know, having complete fun with it. And everybody at this point was like 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did you two meet? In classes. In class. Yeah. We were in the nerdy classes together. <laughs> we were all in, in the smart classes. That was mm-hmm. another thing about the band is that we all, we, we had this image of like, we were wearing uh, costumes and we're, we're like all dark and, and really ugly sounding. But the funny thing is that we were all like in these, AP classes at school. <laughs> and so we were kind of incognito in that way. Yeah, like, yeah. The funny thing is after that talent show, the next day, yeah. Aaron, do you I remember, remember I know exactly what you're class, talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the teacher, the teacher's like great talent show last night, huh, everyone? And then she's like, except for that one band in the costumes. Ah, uh, they were terrible. <laughs> Yeah. She had no idea that she, you and she, Ken and she, I were no, in she the didn't class. know because she said she she's like who are these people? I remember she or she saying like I, I, I didn't know who the like who would make such terrible music. And then I looked down at at the the, the program and it was you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, that was us. Oh man. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thanks she, for inspiring. She didn't teacher. get it. She, she, <laughs> it, it was not her, it was not aimed at her generation. We'll say she, she was not in no. on the joke. <laughs> no, I always, was, the joke was so, on her. Really. I always considered us to be like a parody of a death metal band. Like, cause like more like, you know, Oh yeah. It was like, we, we got inspiration from bands like Guar, for example, with the costumes and everything, just like the over the top silliness and, and everything. It's, we never like took ourselves seriously at all. Like a lot of metal bands do. But there's a certain element of the off genres of metal are in a way like there's a lot of debate among people about whether like the bands that are super into death metal, like whether they're in on the joke Mm -hmm. or not. You know what I mean? It's It's interesting to be a a, a parody of something that might very well be a parody. (laughs) I think uh, we'd probably be remiss to not talk about the two missing members right now. I'll leave Ken for later because he's on vacation so we can give him shit. But uh, what do you guys remember about Peter? You know, how did you meet him and and what was it like playing with Peter? It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, when did I meet him? I met him in school years prior before he kind of like turned into, got, came into his own as far as music. So I knew him from like childhood, but then we reconnected at this point when we had both kind of been uh, awakened to, you know, heavy music and just all types of music, really. And he was really, uh, he's, a, he's a tremendous artist as well, visual arts. And so I, it was really cool to reconnect with him and, and just be able to have a project with him. And I think that he felt a real sense of freedom too in, in being able to be a singer. You know, like he, I felt like he was able to say, you know, I can do anything I want right now. I could, I could be like Slayer I could just yell and scream. Like I can make any amount of lyrics about any type of thematic details. And he was always, he had this notebook and he was really excited about uh, all the different themes he was able to write about. Yeah. I always remember him carrying around that notebook. Like he was writing lyrics in there and he was drawing pictures like band related. He, he, he did the artwork for the cover of our CD that we, that we made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, he was definitely a, a free artistic spirit and, thoroughly enjoyed what the band was able to allow him to do i think i remember his uh you know because i was recording you guys so i got to actually like solo his vocal mic and hear some of the the lyrics i mean he was he was always writing about like these really heavy like political like one of the lyrics is like like don't breed yeah (laughs) (laughs) stop breeding like you're going to destroy the earth if you don't stop breeding. he had a very uh, environmental edge to it yeah. And of course, the reason he can't be with us tonight is because he's so busy on tour and so private. I probably shouldn't even say the name of the band he's in now, but he's like a, a semi-famous touring musician now mm-hmm. playing bass in a, a f- fairly successful. I mean, this is his second international tour wow. that he's been on. Mm-hmm. I had no he's idea. He's got a couple projects, too. I know I know that he's like traveling as like a I know he'd been playing with a lot of different bands, but yeah, I didn't know he was on that level. It's impressive. They're playing red, red rocks and stuff like that. And then Ken. So Ken is, uh, one of my best friends going back. Uh, he was the guitar players in one of my original bands. He's, uh, I think he's in Tahoe right now. And he texted me back saying that his Wi-Fi sucks. Otherwise he'd join us. Darn. Yeah. I would would love to catch up with him, but Aaron, do you play music with him? Yeah. So, I mean, Ken and I, we're both up here in Seattle. We live maybe like a mile and a half away from each other. So we try to play music like every week. There there are periods where we go one, two, three weeks where we can't make it happen. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we've been keeping it going for, for a while now. It's usually just jamming 
sometimes we do some covers. It's nothing too complicated. It's really just just kind of hanging out and making some noise for the most part. And we all kind of like swap instruments too. So I'll, I'll like I have an electronic drum kit that I had um, picked up after college and started to noodle around on the drums. So I'll play that. I'll play bass. Ken will play um, drums or guitar, and Bob, the third guy, he can kind of swap between all three of them. So we pretty much do musical chairs and just mess around. It's pretty fun. Well, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that Ken proved, it's that anybody can play the drums. <laughs> Ken had a knack for it, though. I mean, you can tell he has a musician's mind. The, how quickly he was able to pick it up. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Ken's drumming in Harbinger that really is actually kind of inspiring in the way that it like is spastic. <laughs> you know, um, he didn't have like a metronome in his mind like most drummers have. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, his fills, he would just like st- it would just be like kind of hitting a bunch of stuff like really quickly, and then kind of like crashing back down on the beat like somehow, like try- finding maybe there there might be like a little stutter in there. But like he'd always kind of get back on it, and then we'd just keep going. It was kind of like for us playing along with him. I felt at times it was kind of like riding a bull a little bit, <laughs> just kind of got would, to let, <laughs> let it happen and just go with it. <laughs> I've never been had such a big smile on my face than when we were like mid song, and I'm looking over at you guys, and and you look at Ken, and he's like completely sold out on it, like he's head banging and like he's missing <laughs> symbols, but he doesn't care. His arms are just like flailing. <laughs> and then the, the song ends and we all like stop and, and Ken like basically falls backwards and drops the sticks and like hangs his head like a rag doll. <laughs> We're just like complete dedication to it, you know? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's uh, I, I've always thought of Ken's drumming is like a, a, a lyrical conversation. It's not poetry. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's just, he, he's got something to say and he's going to get it out really quick and then he's going to kind of slow down. And get it out really <laughs> but he had a devotion to the sound we were trying to go for too. Like he knew, oh, you know, yeah. what, what to use to achieve that sound. I think we all clicked yeah. pretty well, like pretty dang fast on the, on that sound. It was like, just like at the first time we all played together, it was like, we, we, we found our sound and we just, got, we just went with it. Yep, no doubt. Yeah. I was just like, uh, yeah. drop D. Okay, play something <laughs> evil sounding with a lot of like palm muting. Okay, nice. <laughs> uh, let's call that, let's give it a funny name too. Let's call it like the Dawn of Disintegration. Yeah. So I think that was like the very first track we came up with. You know, it was just based on palm muted, evil sounding drop D with like <laughs> people doing outrageous like hits and notes and stuff. <laughs> well, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Dawn of the Disintegration now, but I wanna just go through the names of these tracks <laughs> because the names were almost the most clever part of Harbinger of Doom. So so the, the, the title of the record was You Are Cordially Invited to Die. <laughs> um with the opening track being Epic Epidemic. <laughs> we heard Devil's Creed earlier. Uh Many Dead Men. You Will Die, Four Horsemen, Dawn of Disintegration, Colossus versus the Doomsday Deity, a personal favorite <laughs> of mine, uh, Skeleton Warriors, and then we had some bonus tracks, which were mostly me fucking around on my computer, and you guys were kind enough to, to humor me and let me put them on. They the were computer, secret tracks, neighbor of, even yeah. secret to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, neighbor of the Beast, which was 667. I like that. <laughs> and then... Um, and then my two remixes, which was Mister Mr. Bonesy, come play with me, which was the Skeleton Warriors remix, and Four Kazoo's of the Apocalypse, which was, 
I think that was actually all of us playing kazoos to the guitar riffs of Four Horsemen with some. I like that. I think it. you guys made that. I think I missed out, but I think you guys kind of re-recorded the Four Horsemen and used kazoos and stuff. I think it's a great, yeah. great track. <laughs> so, so here comes Dawn of Disintegration, and we're going to hear that palm meeting you were talking about. Here you go. Mustache Festival. The Luau of Death. How could I forget? Oh, man. There's a fantastic video of that. That's right. There is. Gotta track that down. With the uh, vegan track that that was our finest moment, actually, I think. The giant beach ball bouncing around the crowd. The beach ball was was pretty cool. Well, I remember halfway through my high school career, quote unquote, I moved to Fremont, and you guys came down and played the Battle of the Bands. Yes. Mm And Fremont, oh, which there was no tryout for. It was just, I was running the thing and I got that you. That was it. great. This high school had, um, it was Irvington High in Fremont. And they had these rooms that were like big, giant, I don't even know what they were supposed to have been when they were built, but they were being used as storage. And they had desks and they had tables and they had just overflow, like file cabinets and all the stuff that they weren't using in the school, but they would, like couldn't throw away for whatever. And we all showed up at like two or three to set up and there was all this downtime and we were like looking and just somehow we found this um this silver chrome like table with legs <laughs> that had wheels. And we somehow got this thing backstage and you guys had uh, this song. I forget. It's the one like dun dun. That was the epic epidemic. 
Epic, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you guys, you guys started with that, and it was the three of you playing. And Peter, we had him on the table <laughs> with a white sheet over him, with his feet sticking out, with no shoes, and we had a toe tag on one of his toes. <laughs> and we announced that Harbinger wouldn't be playing because their lead singer had died. And everyone kind of bought it. Actually, the crowd was like. Most of them were like, what? You know, and I think Eric, I think you were the MC and you're like, yeah, we're sorry I'm to say that right. Harbinger of doom can't play tonight. And everyone was kind of like, Hmm. And you're like, their singer has died. <laughs> that was great. And that's when we went into that, that intro part there. Right. And, and so like, and, and I have to say, you know, for all of like the the joking, uh, you know the 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 sort of it was a, a joke band, but you guys had these riffs that were just like really just. I mean, they were really cool. I guess is what it is. Like that that epic epidemic intro. I remember <laughs> it because it, it just it, it totally fit this moment of you guys are playing this and Ken's like. And then we're like wheeling Peter onto the stage. <laughs> and we had like a smoke machine billowing and, you know, somebody had a spotlight going around. And, and as Peter slowly started to rise underneath the sheet with his hands sticking out like Frankenstein. So there's, you know. <laughs> well, don't forget, too, that Peter had his whole face painted as a skull. Yeah, that's right. Uh, another thing we did in that downtime, uh, you know, Peter had his face all painted up with this evil-looking skull, very Ozzy Osbourne-like mm-hmm. in that. We also, in addition to that table, we found, I think we were in the band room or something, because we found a gigantic <laughs> bass drum. Yeah. Like this completely absurd, huge, gigantic I remember this now. Bass it, was drum. A, it was the 24, in, no, no, it was the 30-inch concert bass drum not even from the marching band this was the one that like the symphonic yeah. band would use we we took we brought that in there was no muffling or like tuning or anything to make it sound like a it was just boom boom like it was a big long you know, normally heavy metal kick drums like click 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 and this was like boom boom and so that was his bass drum <laughs> it's just so absurd and then we took we took his bass drum and put it on a stand that that mar- that marching that, that concert bass drum would have been on, but on its side for the floor tom. We took his floor tom and put it on a stand to make it his rack tom. <laughs> it was a marching snare drum. It was the concert crash cymbals as the hi hats, twenty inches instead of the normal fourteen, <laughs> and then just like ride cymbals for the crashes, and it actually sounded better. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember it sounding bad at all. It's like, it just, it worked. <laughs> I mean, every drummer I've ever met is incredibly uptight about making sure that their drums are exactly how they want them. <laughs> but Ken's the first person I've ever met that's like, sure, let's sure let's use that bass drum as my new tom, and we'll just create hi-hat out of ride cymbals. Nice. <laughs> That that show was actually a lot of fun. I remember that. We di- we didn't end up winning though. That was ah, <laughs> <laughs> too bad. So well, you know the problem was I, I had too much integrity. <laughs> I I was running the show, so I my band couldn't win, and my friend's band that I got in couldn't <laughs> win. That was kind of this rule I had. Sure. Yeah. No, but there there were some good acts there. I remember that. We weren't really out there to oh, win yeah. that. No. That's kind of the point. No. <laughs> I forget what all the prizes were too, but I'd gone to the local music stores and got like I probably like strings and guitar cables and maybe a microphone or something. But <laughs> so, um, current, tell me about you know, and and I don't mean to sound like you know 
like uh what's that guy with the inside the actor's studio i don't know charlie rose <laughs> yeah i'm not trying to do that i'm just I, I really do like the riffs that you came up with in harbinger i think that there are some in my mind classic had you been in like another like slayer or whatever they were really inspired riffs <laughs> cool. Yeah, definitely. Aaron, your bass lines were really, they just really locked in and complimented. There was like a, a dialogue going between you two. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you go about writing this stuff? And I say that because I, I've noticed that there's something about like 16 and 17 year olds writing music where everything just kind of flows. <laughs> and then when you're in your late 20s and 30s, it just completely comes to dead stop. So mm-hmm. how did you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, that's a good <laughs> good way to describe it. For me, at least, I, I didn't bring to rehearsal a lot of riffs that were already in my mind. And I think there was this entire liberating aspect to it where I could feel free to do whatever outrageous thing I could, even if it was sort of tongue in cheek or or, or a little bit laughable. And it it somehow, it just seemed to work because we, I think we were all aiming towards the same goal. Um, You know, and Aaron, you're, I, I think that your baseline, like for, as far as I recall, like you were growing as a bass player tremendously from the start, from practice number one through the end, oh, yeah. was a big part of your your like growth as a bass player. So I think we really, and I think you were really dedicated um, to that craft. Well, this was this was my only band, but the, like that I was playing in at the time, like so, like all of my musical inspiration was like going towards you know Harbinger. I'd been in like a uh, like a garage band, like a, an alternative garage band before but it was you know pretty lackluster um which is why we stopped playing um but yeah like i would i, I felt like our our writing process it was it was very organic there were maybe a few th- like baselines or riffs that like i kind of came up with outside of practice mm-hmm. but it seemed like most of the stuff that that i came up with and that, that you came up with like you would we would just kind of start playing and mm-hmm. It would it would click. You'd you'd play something that sounded good, but oh, how'd you what'd you do? Like you know, okay, I figure out something to go along with it, and then we like turn that into like sort of like a, a verse or a chorus, and then okay, what can go along with? It? Just kind of like just very very much like on the spot. Like I think the first practice that we had, we had written the song like our first song by the end of it, and it, I don't remember which one it was. Um, yeah, but, no doubt we did. Mm-hmm. And or sometimes we would we would come up with something. And it, we, then we could plug in a part, like a, a like a cool uh, transitional bass section that you were working on, kind of mm-hmm. on your own. We would kind of plug that into some to an idea that we had going. Sometimes I, I swear we would start with the song title and then write from there. <laughs> we would start with the title. <laughs> which one? And which which song are you sure that you did that? Uh, I, I think so. For Four Horsemen, for sure. I was like, what if we had a song called Four Horsemen? And, I was, and I'm like, what if it's just kind of yeah. like this chugging guitar yeah. line that's just clearly like a it, horse It was riding, like galloping. You know? <laughs> it, it fit. It definitely fit. And same with well, Skeleton okay, Warrior. Yeah, go and play that one. Here, here's Four Horsemen. We just, just real quick, I wanted, this was on my list to play. Thank you. 
as good as it's mine. very political yeah. <laughs> get the double bass going yeah i mean that, that was that yeah and i remember seeing uh, it's like you know ken and i were playing in this band and he'd be playing guitar and we'd be like you know when we first started playing we'd be playing like megadeth and metallica and stuff and then we had like our own stuff with these complicated riffs that he'd come up and it was when he started playing in harbinger that these band-aids started appearing in his hands <laughs> <laughs> He would just like like chew through his hands with these sticks. I mean, oh, that was the other thing. Oh, there's the train that goes by. Um, if you want to be a homeowner, live by train <laughs> tracks. Um, Ken would also use my like leftover sticks. Like he didn't even buy his own <laughs> sticks. And you know he'd be like playing you know with tape on the sticks and like the the chunked up parts. He'd be playing them backwards, and I'd see his hands, and it was just like these blisters and blood and. He didn't care because <laughs> he just that we definitely just, would cut loose in uh, as we played even in practice. That was that was the funny thing is that mm-hmm. like I would go all out kind of with physically as I played almost in a cathartic way. Just even in practice when we're in a closed garage and no one can see it but ourselves. And I think we would I would be playing eyes closed just completely all out. And at the end of the song, you just kind of I would look at Ken or I would look at Aaron or Peter. And, and it's just kind of like, you make eye contact and you're like, that was great. You know, like mm-hmm. no one needed to hear that for that to be amazing. I, I love that. That's one of the things that I really wanted to kind of get to in this podcast. Cause I remember having those moments with Ken in the others, the band that we were in just, we'd be playing. And it was really only when he, I was drumming uh, later on, I was singing and, and Scott, Scott Wittenberg mm-hmm. was drumming, uh, who's another famous musician now. But, you know, there were, there were these moments where, like, I'd be playing and you'd have that look that you would give somebody else in the band and they would give that same look back and you knew in that moment that you were just nailing it. <laughs> and by nailing it, I, I don't mean in that way of, like, somebody else externally would think you were nailing it, but you were nailing it for mm-hmm. each other. And there's all this focus in music about, like, the person on stage who's, you know, leading the audience and that but i i love this idea that um these bands that we used to be in and that people used to be in you know were just these like experience these like formative experiences and these like special mm-hmm. moments yeah you know? i mean there's that that level of joy and passion even if it's being experienced on a very limited uh, by a very limited number of people versus you know like coldplay performing in a big uh, auditorium with with hundred thousand people enjoying it at once, you know, but it, we were, it was kind of a private thing. And, and I think that the, the sort of tongue in cheek aspect of it goes towards that in that 
it's sort of an inside joke. And, and the fact that it's an inside joke brings the musicians closer together because you're kind of sharing something that maybe other people don't understand. And that was very much the case with Harbinger. That and the drugs. No, we, we were all in like advanced classes, you know, we were. Yeah. I waited until college for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I did want to talk about real quick? Danville. Suburbia. Soccer mom territory. Um, I mean, the fact that we played, you, Aaron, when, when you described the, that we played at, across the street from a middle school, um, mm. that's completely, we, we were born out of this suburban situation. In fact, uh, there was definitely a time when we were mid, basically mid-song and, and you look over and that garage door is getting like lifted up from, by someone from the outside and they're like, you can't play that right now. <laughs> we did get the cops came over to, to my place one time i remember that they're like you guys are being a little too loud right <laughs> down it's like a saturday like two o'clock in the afternoon it's like there's no noise ordinance at that time or anything but <laughs> people couldn't handle it I mean, we were we were pretty edgy yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it was definitely like you know we, we come from that that area and it's, it's very like privileged like nice community very um, whitewashed, and I think that our music was was in particular very in, in contrast with that setting. You know, to be making ugly ugly noise like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people didn't know what to make of us, but that was part of the fun. Yeah, <laughs> some people got it. We had some close friends, and yeah. I think that like like Eric and you in particular, like the the people that got it, I felt like a particular amount of like love and, and positive energy from them because it was like we're entertaining it truly was entertainment for the people involved mm-hmm. yeah we were more concerned about whether or not we were having fun than whether or not we were <laughs> you know entertaining a crowd really or anything just, i love how it was like when, whenever we had a show coming up we would be like oh okay what are we going to do for this what are we going to do we got to do something we're like let's do a luau of death how about that uh, you know, this outdoor show that we did in the summertime when we were all about to graduate high school. It was a, it was a magical time in our life where we're about to like, y- you know how it is when you're about to graduate high school. And so we, we were like, let's just do it up. It's probably our last show. Let's <laughs> buy like uh, fake palm trees and attach them to our amps and props like fish nets and, and fake fish. And let's get like hula skirts and do this whole shtick, really, which I think was really actually awesome. The luau of death. Yeah, I don't think we ever played just like without putting doing something to like mm-hmm. put on a show. It, there was never just there was never a vanilla performance by us. There was always like something added in there for extra effect. For sure, Eric, you put on a show props. once at uh, I can't remember the venue. It was at oh the, at the uh, Grange, Grange Hall. and our shtick that time was let's turn the lights all off. And let's have these black lights because I had taken like I, I bought like four foot garage neon light fixtures and I, I just put black light bulbs in there and I, I put them on the ground facing up. This will be plenty of light for us. Mm-hmm. All right, cut the lights. <laughs> we're on. And then it, it was basically providing zero light whatsoever. We were like, <laughs> you couldn't see anything. I couldn't see my strings or anything. And uh, we proceeded to play. And I, I. I I don't know when it happened, but I, at some point I nailed my finger on the strings, which I couldn't see. And when they turned the lights back on at the end, I had you know this gruesome injury on my finger <laughs> across the <laughs> surface of my guitar, you know, bleeding all over your guitar, like blood <laughs> everywhere. 
that was our that was our shtick that time. Let's I'm turn not, the lights out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm going to play. Um, I'm going to play Skeleton Warriors. Now, uh, I'll I'll give a preamble for our audience here that um, Skeleton, <laughs> th- this record, you know, I, I was learning how to record at the time, so of course the fidelity is uh, what you would expect from somebody doing their like second or third record ever on you know borrowed equipment. Um, but I was also editing on the computer, uh, just different soundscapes and experiments. And again, you guys were very generous in letting me do these <laughs> intros and things. So there's this very explicit <laughs> intro to Skeleton Warrior. Creative freedom. That, um, Complete creative freedom. I, was, I, was I want to say I was 17, and I probably stumbled across the audio that I used for this intro from a legit, like, piece of internet pornography that I <laughs> So here we go. And I'd sell my soul to the devil for some of this fresh young pussy. Did you hear me? Ken does the classic drummer move where when you need to do a bunch of fast double bass, suddenly the tempo slows down. <laughs> that that song was based on being the most absurd that it could possibly be. I remember sitting in class like next to Ken and being like, you know, like let's ha- let's have a song and just call it like Skeleton Warriors and just have it be uh, just uh, just two chords back and forth with like we'll just go nuts at the end of the destruction scene and kick the drums over and stuff. Those drums got, had to be taped back together several times. Oh yeah. Well, that was the beauty of buying like a $50 drum kit as you could just, and with broken cymbals is you could just destroy it. And you, you actually, it was exactly the same as what there you was scary. The only danger was those cracked cymbals had some sharp edges on them. So when you're knocking it over, you could easily hurt yourself. <laughs> so as we, uh, as we wrap up the podcast, I have to ask, you know, how did the band break up? I mean, was there a fight? Ooh. Was there like a falling out? Was there a... It was the, oh, man. No. Very controversial. <laughs> well, I don't even remember. Yeah. yeah. 
we just went off to college. We're, like we went our separate <laughs> ways after after summer after senior year, and that was that. After the luau of death. Yeah, <laughs> we did get back together, um, all four of us in Eric in your garage. Um, one time when we were all back, like for a break during college or something like that. I remember that. Hmm. I forgot. I no, we, you know, I yeah. think what we did was we recorded the album at Eric's house. And we all went there, like we carpooled down to Fremont and recorded, Eric recorded this whole album. But I think that was the last hurrah for us was once we recorded that. No, we, we definitely, we definitely got back together and played. Cause so when I was in college, I, um, do you, do you guys remember the skull bass mm-hmm. that I, that I had? I, so that I made that when I, when in college. So that was definitely after Harbinger. You guys saw it when mm-hmm. we got back together that one time. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, thanks so much for uh, agreeing to do this. Uh, I wish we could have gotten Ken or Peter, but uh, the two of you, uh, you know, made it very enjoyable. Yeah, our pleasure. I, I give you at least a, a B plus, <laughs> which in AP speak is like a D minus. <laughs> thanks for so. bringing this band back alive. You know, like a chance to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, you've been listening to Harbinger of Doom here on the broken up that's uh aaron griswold it's been a pleasure and and kern mcpherson uh that's f-e-a-r so <laughs> emphasis on the fear that was produced and those those riffs that you heard earlier yeah thanks for having me on it, it's great to be able to talk about this project again all right guys thanks so much The Broken Up.